ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nightlife Science. Joining us for a look at science this week is the one and only Charlie Lineweaver. Charlie, good evening to you. Welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Earthling. Well, Earthling indeed. I mean, this is the time to think about that, isn't it? Because the United States is going back to the moon in three days... The Houston-based company Intuitive Machines is going to try and land near the South Pole of the Moon. They blasted off the other day, didn't they? That's right. A few days ago on a Falcon 9 from SpaceX. But what is interesting about this is this seems to be the year of the moon. I mean, you you remember just a few weeks ago that uh, Japan became the fifth nation after the Soviet Union, the U.S., China, and India Mm. to land softly on the moon. They landed upside down, but still it was softly. And and then about two weeks ago, there was a a U.S. company uh, called Astrobiotics that had a peregrine mission, and it had a problem with a valve. Mm -hmm. And I guess it opened the valve, and then the valve wouldn't close, and then it spewed out all the stuff that they needed was spewed out into space, and so the whole mission had to be canceled. So that was no good. Now, these these are commercial missions. They're not really NASA missions, but NASA has a program called the Commercial Lunar Payload Services. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing essentially is is giving, they're paying for like half of it and saying, okay, you're a private company. We're going to give you some money here and you're going to do it yourself. And the reason they're doing that is because they want to have companies with lots of competition. Once they get a colony on the moon, they want to say, okay, we need some water. How much uh, do I have to pay you for water? And if there are three or four companies bidding, then you know, the, the price so, goes down. So who's Intuitive Machines and why do they want to land? What, what are they trying to land anyway? Is it a little okay. robot, is it? Well, it's not a little robot. It's, I think it's about uh, maybe as much as, uh, not, I, I don't know, 200 kil- kilograms or more. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, so it's a large thing. As a matter of fact, there's a cool sideline to this. They have something called an eagle cam, hmm. and it will be the first time ever, that, well, just 30 meters above the surface when it's lowering itself, it sends out some camera. I'm not sure how it's going to land on the moon, but the camera lands on the moon, and then the camera takes a picture of the landing of the spacecraft. You're kidding. <laughs> no. You're kidding! It's like taking a selfie of it. It's, wow! <laughs> and so this is a high technology. Be the first about. time that's ever happened. I know that. I know that people wonder about. Hey, how did they get the pictures of Neil Armstrong? You know, the first step on the moon. Well, that's a, that was a camera taken that was on the spacecraft. It was but this time, wow! But this time it's the. So when's it, when's it going to land, Charlie? It, it's supposed to land in three days' time. And so it's about a third of the way to the moon right now, and so far everything's... Is there any live... Will there any be live public feed of this or not? I suppose there would. Otherwise, why would they go to so much trouble to make... (laughs) It has a Wi-Fi connection. This Eagle Cam has a Wi-Fi connection to the spacecraft, and then the spacecraft connects it back to Houston. So that's an interesting sideline. Also the, uh, about this mission, it's going to the south pole of the moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason for that is because of something you may have heard of, permanently shadowed regions. Hmm. And why that's important is because for the last 4 billion years or so, objects with some significant amount of water, H2O, have been impacting the moon. When it impacts at the equator, then the thing just sublimates and the sunshine comes and the, you know, it's the temperature is like 20 degrees Celsius on the equator of the moon. And then there's no atmosphere and so just this ice just sublimates and goes away. But if it lands in a permanently shadowed region, it's like 100 degrees cooler or so. And then the H2O just stays as ice and essentially just they're in deep freeze forever. And they're hoping that at the bottom of these permanently shadowed uh, craters, which are both at the North and South Pole, 
you will then have lots and lots and lots of ice, which you can use to drink. You can use to fertilize any uh, plants mm-hmm. you want to grow there, or you could use it to make fuel. Because so this these, no. this robot will will try and establish that. Yes, that's one of the main missions. Why it's going to the South Pole? It's right. a new place to go. It's going to be permanent. Uh, also, as an astronomer, I have to put in a plug for astronomy. One of the things they're doing is uh, trying to test how good is the radio reception when you get behind a mountain so you cannot communicate with, or mm. rather you're in a shadow of a mountain so you're blocked by the radio communicate like this radio show well, astronomers we do not want to listen to a radio show like this right <laughs> they want to hear the stars talking and they can only hear the stars talking at these frequencies when they're in the shadow from the earth because the earth is a gigantic emitter of radio that no astronomer wants to hear mm. so that will test that it's, well, Radio it's, astronomy uh, from the moon is a big thing that's coming up. Yeah, well, interesting. I mean, it's fascinating. As you say, it's a very exciting time for the moon. I mean, there's a whole range of people going to try and land on it. And the, a lot more this year. This year I think at least, I'm not sure, I haven't counted, but the, I, think I it's guess five. three or four, yeah, five. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. so also the astrobiotics one that failed, they have another mission coming up. And I think this intuitive machine one, they have another one this year as well. Yeah. So, uh, wow. That's right. And I think there are other nations that are also trying to do this. Um, They're all lunatics. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> that's where the word comes from. Uh, and, of course, humans are, well, according to NASA, they're planning to put humans there in, what, two years' time. That's right. That's right. That's right, yeah. but but it will depend on Starship, and Starship is also the the third launch of this of uh, this is the big the, rocket, the jo- the largest rocket in the world, yeah. <laughs> and it will probably just... get uh, maybe within uh, two two I would say two to three weeks from now, maybe before our next uh, broadcast. The last one blew up, as we know. But still... Well, it it kind of blew up. The, the reason it had to, it had to vent oxygen mm. because it didn't have a payload, and that venting of oxygen caused the thing to blow up. I don't think it would have blown up otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's anyway. Pretty, it's Pretty good. Keep looking out for it. Three days' time, it's supposed to land. That's right. Now, um, here's the thing, uh, and I'm glad you can answer this question. The Panama Canal is apparently experiencing drought conditions. But you think to yourself, why on earth, if they've dug a hole from one side of the Caribbean to the Pacific, I mean, the levels of the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans have got to be the same, surely, because that's the whole point. That's the whole point well, of, of, of having an ocean. Of having a, water finds its own level, as we know. Right. Water cannot exist in a lake at two different levels. It's always the one level. So why isn't why isn't the level of the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean the same? So you All just right. dredge so, a hole and they're, they're, well, they're there are several, there are three reasons why what you said is wrong. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if you just had a, a pot full of water, right? Mm-hmm. And if you blow on the surface of that pot, the surf, the pot uh, the way from the wind will be higher and where you're blowing will be lower by a couple of millimeters. So that you can see that the wind changes the level. Mm-hmm. Also, you're familiar with tides, but the, the, there's not the same tide everywhere in the world at the same time. The tide moves no. around. And so it's some, some places, uh, for example, the Mediterranean Ocean and the Red Sea between them is the, the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. And the level there is almost the same. But the tides in the Red Sea are something like almost three meters, and the tides in the eastern Mediterranean are almost zero. In the case that we're talking about here, the Panama Canal, now it's the Panama Canal is not a giant canal just connecting the uh, ocean, the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. But if it were, if it were just a whole uh, yeah. canal, then the the water from the Pacific would flow into the Atlantic because the Pacific is twenty centimeters higher. 
And you can ask, why is it 20 centimeters higher? Well, there's it several reasons. It can't be. <laughs> it, it is. It is. <laughs> we can measure it. It's 20 centimeters. It's not how too- can it be? Okay, so there's several reasons. One is that the water in the Pacific Ocean is less dense. And so if you have water that's less dense, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's what? not as heavy. It doesn't fall what? as much. Yes. This is, well, well, wait a minute. You're familiar with hurricanes. Have you ever, hurricanes yeah. always talk about a tidal surge, right? Well, that's also because hurricanes are low pressure. Low pressure makes the, the surface come up. And that's why all these coastal houses get blown away by the, or, or I guess washed away, because the low pressure of the hurricane makes the water come up by sometimes as much as a meter. And then that high, one meter higher uh, waves can just wash away. It's not just the waves from the wind, it's also the height of the sea as much. Anyway. Okay, so, but if you dragged, if you dug a hole, like a, a trench from, yes, from, from the Atlantic to Pacific. And I know the Panama Canal is not that, it's yes, a series yes. of connected ponds, isn't it? Essentially. Uh-huh. But uh, if you did that and the Pacific Ocean's 20 centimetres higher, yes. I mean, it would flow into the Atlantic Ocean, but then eventually, eventually it would find its own level. Well, it would flow downhill, yes. Just. Yeah, but no, no, but I mean, it would, it's not as though the Pacific no, Ocean's going to... you're going to empty the Pacific Ocean. No, no, we're not, <laughs> no. not going to empty... No, okay. I mean, eventually it would find its own level. No, no, that, that 20 centimetres is there because it's maintained by... So one factor we said was the density of the water. Hmm. The other is that there are these circumpolar currents, the, the Antarctic current, and that's because of the wind. The wind is, you, as you know, because you, if you've been to the Antarctic, you know that there's this circumpolar wind that goes around and around and makes the yeah. seven-meter seas, and it's a, just the prevailing winds are incredible. Well, that wind is driving the current. Just like you, when you blow in mm-hmm. a pot, you're driving a current from one side of the pot to the other. Well, the wind around the Antarctic is driving a current, and that current maintains... Uh, well, you would think it would maintain a higher... <laughs> so you're saying there would be a, a forever current from the yeah. Pacific into the Atlantic. So yes. If you're, so yes. if, you're, if you're coming the other way, you'd have to really battle it. Whereas, of course, if you're going... Well, you, you know what you do? You, you'd think that, well, because there's wind is there, it would blow more of the water towards the Atlantic and then the Atlantic mm. be higher. But that doesn't seem to be the case. But anyway, let's... <laughs> anyway, they're not the same level, unlike the Suez Canal, where they are pretty much the same mm. level. Okay. And so the Atlantic and Pacific are 20 centimeters. Now, that's not a lot. That's like your hand, right? So mm. 20 centimeters is not a lot. But the, this canal is being affected by a drought, and that's kind of weird. And the reason it is is because, as you mentioned, there's a giant lake. that The, the uh, Panama Canal really has locks which raise the boats about 26 meters That's to right. the level of a lake. And uh, then they go, they go through the lake, and then they go down the locks on the other side. So they go up, and they go through the, uh, the lake, and then they come down. The problem with the, the drought is because the, with little rain, the level of the lake goes down. And you know these big boats have big drafts, mm. and so if you have a boat with a, you know, the draft is like the distance between the sea level and the bottom of the boat, which can be I don't know three meters, four meters, ten meters, depending on the size of the boat. And if the the lake, the level of the lake goes down, then they're gonna these boats are gonna hit the bottom, and so they can't let that happen, and so they have a problem because of that. But also each time they raise these boats up twenty six meters and then ra- put them down twenty six meters, they're losing water from this lake. And so lots and lots of water, I don't know, millions of liters. And so, and they have how many? Two, a couple of dozen boats per day coming through. And each one, you lose lots and lots of water. And so they used to think they would have had an unending supply from this lake. And apparently the lake level is going down. They have a drought. And then they have problems supplying water to these locks. And therefore they say, oh, we can only have 10 ships going through rather than 20. So that's, that's the issue.
Yeah, it's interesting. Now, why do insects circle around a light at night, unknowingly? Yeah, this is kind of crazy because I guess I guess you're dancing around. No, so insects do this. I've seen this many mm. times. You presumably you have too. Yeah, you have a fire at night and then they circle around. Now, so these uh, scientists, these are I think students, decided to test this and photograph it, and so they had uh, special cameras. Now, what they did was take a light, a UV light and a visible light, and then they didn't want to interfere with, they wanted to have 500 frames per second. To do that, you have to have very bright light, and so they had to have very bright infrared light that wouldn't interfere with the behavior of the insects. So the insects were reacting to the UV optical light while the cameras were recording the infrared light that so it wouldn't get it wouldn't bother the insects. Mm-hmm. So that's the first scientific interesting thing. And uh, so what they also did was they painted little infrared reflectors spots on these insects and then they photographed them with these five like I said 500 frames per second and then they could see exactly what was going on and cuz it's not that easy in low light to film this behavior. So one of the most interesting things, besides seeing that they circled, they saw that when they flew above the light, they were upside down. Now that, I said, whoa, that's mm. kind of like a, a, a coup de grace for this hypothesis. And the hypothesis is that um, insects have what's called a dorsal light uh, response. Mm-hmm. And that means that they've been evolving for 600 million years and they can tell the, the, the sky from the ground. The sky is bright and the ground is low. And when your brain is really small, that's all you need to know to navigate, to, uh, at, you know, horizontally. Well, but the problem is, is when you have a, night, a light at night, then they say, oh, there's a light that's up. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes them circle. They say, oh, up is that way. Up, oh, up is that way. And so they go around and around thinking that the light is up. And when they, sur- they fly above the light, they think that that's up. And so they're upside down. So that's kind of crazy. But you think, well, haven't enough insects died over the past uh, I don't yeah, know, two million years that people have been making fires at night? And I think the answer is no. We have been making so few fires. And, and this response is so, mm. so deeply integrated there into their nervous system that uh, they fly upside down. They have a dorsal light response. And though now we have proof in video um, mm. <laughs> of this idea. What about this? The largest Stone Age megastructure, a wall, it's submerged, has been discovered. Yeah. So here we have a... Bigger than Stonehenge. Oh, well, this is much... Well, it's longer. It's much longer. The the stones are not quite as big. So the history of this is there's a professor in Germany who had some students, and they had sonar equipment, and they said, hey, let's see what's just off the coast here. It's a... uh, There's a little town called Rekirk... just off the coast of Germany in the Baltic Sea, just east of Denmark. And so they got a boat, got a cable, hooked a sonar in the back and dragged it around and to see what was off the coast. What kind of, what, what would they see? Well, they found this long, elongated structure. And then they sent down cameras to see what it was. And they found out that it was a wall made out of very large stones, about 100 kilograms or so. And it went on for almost a kilometer. And so they said, what in the world is this? And so uh, they figured, well, it wasn't made by, you know, it looks like, how old was this going to be? Well, they said, what was the water level about 5,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago, 10,000? They figured the water level was beneath this uh, stone wall uh, about 11,000 years ago. So that was when it was made by people because people did not have scuba gear 11,000 years ago. So they, uh, and the water, we know that the water level was lower. 
It was only 21 uh, meters mm-hmm. in depth. All right. So they uh, then saw that th- this uh, this line of rocks, this stone wall, kind of zigzagged. And every time it zigzagged, there was a gigantic rock where it changed direction. And so what they figured is that, okay, there's a bunch of rocks they uh, that were unmovable. And then people piled rocks that were movable to make a low wall about a meter in height. And the reason for that is to channel reindeer so they could hunt them and more hey. easily kill them. And this is not the first time they've, the archaeologists have found this. This is known from uh, Lake Huron, for example, uh, underneath the surface, mm. and also in several places in Saudi Arabia. Where did Saudi you Europe. say this is, is again? Where this is? is, if you, you see, picture Germany and picture the peninsula that turns mm. into Denmark, and then just to the, the east of that. Oh, okay. Just off the coast of Germany in 21, centi- 21 wow. meters depth. And so it's, a, it's the largest megastructure found in Europe. Wow. And the, they're pretty, I would say they're pretty confident, 90% level, that this is to help. I mean, you and I, 10,000 years ago, what would we be doing? We wouldn't be talking on the radio. We would be hunting and gathering and fighting, you know, other neighboring tribes. Well, these guys were hunting reindeer, and it's easier to hunt reindeer if you can channel them into, with walls, channel them into a small area, and then they make the kill more easily. How about this? If you're in Santorini, which is in, which is beautiful Greek islands in the Cyclades, um, in the Aegean Sea, uh, it's actually a giant prehistoric volcano. Is it? Well, almost all volcanoes are prehistoric, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the Earth doesn't change that quickly. So, yes, Santorini is most famously known for a honeymoon destination for people. Matter of fact, my daughter went there on her honeymoon. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful spot. Have you been there, Phil? No, but I know about it. It's, I do, too, and I've not. And it used to be thought that its eruption about 1,600 B.C. during the Bronze Age uh, caused the downfall, decline of the Minoan civilization on mm. Crete. But I think now they, they think that's no longer the case. Uh, but there was a gigantic eruption, and most of the information we have on the eruption of this thing uh, are from the land. Uh, you know, when a volcano goes off, it pushes mm-hmm. ash on the land, and you can and then look at it. But th- this particular discovery was made by a drill ship. And the wonderful thing about drill ships is when they drill a hole, you, and then they go down 10 meters, 20 meters, 100 meters, essentially they're going back through time. And because they're going th- uh, through mud at the, at the bottom, uh, it's very undisturbed and very sensitive. Like this is one year, then the next year. And so they can really do chronology, kind of like dendrochronology. But they do the same thing with ice cores, right? Well, he, this is a core of mud around the Mediterranean, around the, the Santorini. And their biggest discovery was... About half a million years ago, 500,000 years ago, there was an eruption that was much, much, much bigger than the one that was done in 1600 B.C. Hmm. And uh, that's interesting because at that time there were no humans there, but there were Neanderthals. So I'm thinking, well, the Neanderthals, if they had writing, they would have written about this sometime. But but it was a much bigger eruption. Also, they found that there was another eruption that no one seemed to have recorded in 726 A.D. Oh, okay. So you get a really wonderful record of the eruptions of these things and how dangerous they are. And also there's there's an undersea volcano that some volcanoes, when they erupt, all of the stuff stays underneath. Mm. But it still makes a lot of mud and ash uh, that uh, stays at the bottom that you can record. There you go. Massive. All right. We're finding out so much about the earth every uh, no, single day. All right. Well, let's, let's keep our ears peeled, <laughs> for, uh, our, our eyes peeled for the next three days for the landing of uh, That's this, this right. robot. And maybe it'll be successful and maybe it won't. <laughs> maybe it won't. <laughs> but it will be taking a picture of itself landing and that will be the first. That'll be cool. All Charlie, right. great to talk. Thank you. All right. 
You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.